0: Well, there you go. And out along the wall are all sorts of empty shoeboxes. If you haven't gotten yours already, now's the time. The the deadline's approaching, and you'll want to get your shoebox and get it filled absolutely correctly. And now you've got the instructions, so that's cool. Remember, Bo preached last week about our mission strategy and said it's pray, give, and go. That's the way we're looking at it. We want to pray about this. We want to pray about your shoebox and the child that it's going to go to want to give, and we're going to have opportunities to go. So that's pretty cool. Uh, It is good to see you this morning. There's every reason in the world not to be here. It is fall break for Jones County High School. I've seen a lot of people that are in all kinds of different places. I woke up this morning. It's gray outside. You know, it'd be a wonderful morning to sit down with a cup of hot coffee and a good book and just sort of you know, you know, sort of, you know, preachers don't feel that way. We're always ready to be at church, but I know everybody else how they are. So I thank you this morning that, uh, that God nudged you. And you thought his house would be the place to come this morning so we could worship him. So let's join our hearts together. Let's prepare ourselves to worship a Lord who loves us more than anything we can imagine. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, this morning we thank you. Lord we thank you for the weather. You know it's another tropical storms coming through and all the stuff and I know it causes somebody hardship. But Lord, you you bring the rains. And we have a variety of things and you give us opportunities to serve in the middle of all of this. Lord, I thank you for what our youth did yesterday for packing things that are going to go to Houston. It's going to be delivered to a a church that's going to go to an elementary school and people from Gray, Georgia are going to be affecting the lives of people in Houston, Texas. And we're doing it because of you and for no other reason because if it weren't for you, we wouldn't be together. So we thank you, Father. Thank you for pricking our hearts, for raising our eyesight so that we can see that you are the same everywhere we go. We look forward this morning to worshiping you. We pray that I lift our hearts in songs, that we hear your word, that we'd walk away changed. Lord, bless us for being here, but most of all, Lord, bless you for calling us here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When it comes to the scripture, it is easy for those of us who have been in church since dirt was invented to sort of zip through the text and not hear the story. And in this particular story uh, today, it's, I mean, it's real easy just to zip through. Here's a sign, Scripture ends and says this is the second sign. Uh, Now, this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. Whoop, it's a sign. He's Jesus. Off we go. But if you listen to the story and let yourself get captivated by it, there's something in here that's a little bit interesting. A little bit moving starts at verse 43 of John chapter 4 It says after two days he left there for Galilee Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country when they entered Galilee the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival for they also had gone to the festival he went again to Cana of Galilee where he had turned the water into wine there was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. Jesus told him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, Come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live the man believed what jesus said to him and departed while he was still going down his servants <clears throat> his servants met him <clears throat> excuse me while he was still going down his servants met him saying that his boy was alive he asked them at what time he got better yesterday at 1 in the afternoon the fever left him they answered the father realized this was the very hour at which jesus had told him your son will live So he himself believed along with his whole household. Now this was the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. As we approach the text in a few minutes, it will help you if you'll think about your children. And if you'll think about a time that they were particularly sick, or they had a problem, or they were hurt, maybe they broke an arm or a leg, or maybe like Ben when he was at Florida and had... Um, appendicitis, and had to have an appendectomy, and I was there, Renee was somewhere, she was at home, we had gone down to see the space shuttle launch, and I'm sitting here watching my child in this medical environment, and I can't do anything. It'll help you if you think about the text in that tone of voice, because that's where that daddy was. His son was going to die, and there was nothing he could do about it. Think about that for a little bit. bit. All right, I'm working on the end of a Ricola, so maybe we won't get the coffin. Maybe you'll just get the slurping noise. I'll do the best I can. It's been a tough week, hasn't it? I mean, when you look across our country, it's been a pretty tough week. The only thing that could make people quit talking about NFL players kneeling or standing or linking arms as a 64-year-old white man that went into a hotel room and busted out a window and killed a bunch of people. Events in Los Angeles hurt. Who hasn't been to a concert? Which one of us hasn't been to a ball game? Which one of you, which one of us hasn't gone to a fair in the last 10 years? Can we ever be safe again? Can we ever feel safe again anywhere? You know, first it was airplanes. And then it went from airplanes to movie theaters, and then schools, and then concerts. And you get a 64-year-old white guy. What's up with that? Who in the world? But you know, the strangest thing in this to me, the strangest thing in this was hearing secular people, people who do not believe in God, call the shooter evil. In a land where there is no God, there is no such thing as evil. It can't be. Now what I'm going to try to do this morning, is, among other things, is to explain to you the truth of that statement and why it is as it is and the and the difference between us and them. Back in 1980, there was a um, television series that was the most popular television series in history up to that time. And it remained the most popular TV s- television series until 1990 when the Civil War came out on PBS and that became the most popular. But in 1980, on PBS, again, the most popular television series in history up to that moment was Cosmos. Carl Sagan was the host of that show. Carl Sagan was a very smart scientist, he was an astronomer. He was a cosmologist, he was an astrophysicist, he was an astrobiologist, he was an author, he was a teacher, he was a lecturer. The man was brilliant and he had the perfect mannerisms and the perfect style and the perfect face. And the perfect, you know, he had that, that Mr. Rogers quality about him, that he could sit down, set you at ease, take the most difficult scientific principle, and it explain it in such a way that a simple person could understand it. And in his series, he said these words, and back in those days, we gobbled these words up like they were candy. He said, every aspect of nature reveals a deep mystery And touches our sense of wonder and awe. That's the truth. We know that. That's a true statement. Works for everybody. Those afraid of the universe as it really is. Those who pretend to non-existent knowledge. And envision a cosmos centered on human beings. Will prefer the fleeting comforts of superstition. They avoid rather than confront the world. But those with the courage to explore the weave and structure of the cosmos, even where it differs profoundly from their wishes and prejudices, will penetrate its deepest mysteries. He helped the average person understand that the universe, that the cosmos, is our creator. And to believe otherwise is superstitious and cowardly. And he planted that seed in us. And he said, It is said that men may not be the dreams of God, but rather that God, the gods, are the dreams of men. Dr. Sagan understood the deep yearning that we all feel inside of us for something bigger than ourselves. Everybody has felt it at some point in their lives. That feeling that sits in your chest when you're standing on the seashore with an agitated ocean and the winds blowing fierce against your face and the waves are thundering on the shore and there's nothing in the distance as far as you can see except water. Superstitious people, people like us, Feel that yearning and say it's a recognition of God as Creator. We look at that and we call it natural revelation. Paul speaks about it in the book of Revelation, in the book of Romans. But Sagan helps us understand that that's not quite right. He helps us understand that the surface of the Earth is the shore of the cosmic ocean. On this shore, we've learned most of what we know. Recently, we've waded a little way out, maybe ankle deep, and the water seems inviting. Some part of our being knows this is where we came from. We long to return, and we can, because the cosmos is also within us. We're made of star stuff. We are a way for the cosmos to know itself. We are star stuff, which, which has taken destiny into its own hands and for those of us who were born and grew up in the age of science and that's every one of us in here there's something in here that troubles us because it has the ring of truth and the ring of heresy all at the same time and we realize that Carl Sagan was a very very smart man and there's a lot of very very smart people out there who are telling us things that we need to know and understand He studied, he observed, he knew things. He was a scientist. Scientists know what they're talking about, right? And he said what many scientists believe and propagated and have taught to our children and have taught to us. And we live our lives in the middle of that philosophy and we don't give it a second thought. We hear statements like the evolution of life is driven by mutation. He says by cosmic rays and radiation and all these things around us. And he says something like that and we think of the two-headed snake that we see or the giraffe that's born completely white, which is an aberration. And he says that what we are that baby or that grandbaby that you cuddle so close came into being and exist as it is because the cosmos in its infinite expanse created it over time. And we live in that society. And if you take the logic of that thinking, and you take that logic where it needs to go, then you have to understand that the shooting in Las Vegas was not evil. It wasn't evil. It's nothing more than a lion chasing after a gazelle and catching that gazelle and having it for dinner. And the gazelles who saw that gazelle get eaten Will learn from that event and they'll learn to avoid lions and they'll learn to run faster and they'll learn to be a little bit smarter and if they do that their species will flourish and if they don't do that the lions will flourish it's called natural selection you studied that in school right all of us did even us old coots had that in our science classes it's the survival of the fittest it's what it is You can't call your world evil if your world, if your worldview says that we're star stuff. The weaker will be extinct. The fittest will learn to survive. There is no evil in that process. It is how the cosmos has created us. It is what we are. These shootings are unfortunate. They are horrifying and they are terrifying. But those emotions for us are necessary so we can adjust our lives, so we can adapt and mutate, so we will continue to survive and to thrive. That's what we've been taught. Genesis 2-7, you change two words, it changes everything. Genesis 2-7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. The man became a living being. You take out the words Lord God, you replace it with the word cosmos. In the secular worldview, the worldview that Carl Sagan popularized and that we live in every day, this should read, Then the cosmos formed man out of the dust of the ground Breathe the breath of life into his nostrils and the man became a living being. If the cosmos created us, then there is no evil. There is only survival. And what do, one does in response to the stimulus around it either guarantees its extinction or guarantees its survival. And that is all we are, he says. But if there is a God, if there is a God, then there is evil because see if a God created us then he's above us and he created an order that we're supposed to live by and then in that order he says something like thou shalt not kill And if someone kills, then that is evil in the eyes of the Creator. And if we are an adherent of the Creator, then it is evil in our eyes as well. But it's only evil if there's a God. We have to know, we have to understand that God is the one who directs the universe. I had a class in seminary called Theodicy. Theodicy is this, it's it's great, it's a great word for scrabble. Theodicy is studying the question, how can God be good and allow evil to continue? And Sagan answered that for us. Sagan said, We are star stuff, which has taken destiny into its own hands. Taking destiny in our hands means that we're God. And when we declare ourselves to be God, trouble always follows because declaring ourselves to be God is the definition of sin. When we say we are God, we choose to live our lives making an ultimate making ultimate decisions with minds that are ill-equipped to do so, and we fail miserably, and people die because of that. And how can we say that God is good in the face of this unspeakable, life-ending, life-altering evil? How can we say that God is good? We can say that God is good for while we were making ultimate, life-altering, life-ending decisions, God sent us Jesus. And that makes him good. He came to rescue us from ourselves. But is Jesus enough? In the middle of all this, is Jesus enough? That's a question we all have to answer every day as we walk in a world that tells us that you are clinging to a superstition and you are are cowardly. For following that and not facing the truth. Is Jesus enough? Our church face will immediately answer yes. But what does your life say? What does your life say? In the scripture we read earlier, the word believe is used three times. But only one time does it answer if Jesus is enough. You heard the story, you heard it read a few minutes ago. A royal official, a man who worked in the secular world, just like the majority of us do. He worked in the secular world, probably worked in the government of Herod Antipas. Now, not Herod the Great the one who tried to kill Jesus when he was two years old. He's died. There's new Herod, there's Philip, there's Herod, and there's somebody else. I can't remember his name. And this guy, Herod, rules this area of land. Herod the Great was a horrible human being. This was his son. His son is following in his footsteps. He is not a godly man. And this man that the story is about works for him. His son was sick to the point of death. His son's going to die. He knows his son's going to die. There is nothing they can do for him. He hears that Jesus is in a town 18 miles away. If you've seen pictures of the train, you know there's hills, it's up, it's down, there's mountains, there's paths, it's dusty, it's dirt, it's rock. He's going to walk for 18 miles over those hills, over those mountains until he gets to where the city is. And then when he gets in the city, he's going to seek out Jesus. It's not as easy as it sounds like when you read the story. He didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have GPS. There was nobody tweeting where Jesus was. There was nobody on Facebook Live. There was nobody with Instagram. There was nobody with Snapchat showing pictures of Jesus. There were no billboards on the side of the road that says, Jesus meeting, come and see healing taking place before your very eyes. 7.30 at the fairground. There was none of that. There was nothing. There was nothing except a father who wanted to find this man so he could ask him one question. Listen, here's the question. This is the question. Listen to it. And then listen to what the answer is in a few minutes. This is the question. Will you come to my house and heal my son? Will you come to my house and heal my son? His actions... Are not unreasonable is there anything more precious to you than your children and your grandchildren there is absolutely you tell me if I'm wrong and I I will be happy to hear where I'm wrong on this is there any situation in your life where you have any worse feeling than sitting by the bedside of your child, helpless, knowing there's nothing you can do for that child at all. Nothing. And your child is in pain, is hurting, and there's nothing you can do. Is there a worse feeling on the face of this planet? The father hurt for his son. He went looking for Jesus on the basis of word of mouth But something we need to understand is because it's in Scripture, we understand at this point that the man's going to find Jesus because God had ordained from the beginning of time that he was going to meet Jesus. He pleaded, listen to the words, he pleaded for Jesus to come, to walk 18 miles. He wasn't saying, will you walk with me next door? Will you walk with me down the street? Will you get in my car and drive up the street with me? He's going to Jesus and asking him, Will you walk 18 miles with me? 18 miles over hills and mountains and rocks through the dry desert kind of places. Will you walk with me? That's a big request if you ask me. And I find it interesting that John doesn't go into depth about what the pleading looks like. He says that the man pleaded with Jesus. Have you ever pleaded with anybody? Have you ever? Have you ever had anybody in your life that was going to do something that was so harmful, detrimental, or stupid that you stood in front of them and you didn't stand in front of them and go, oh, I would hope that you wouldn't do that. You do realize that's a bad decision, right? That's not the way we plead. We plead with people, we look them in the eyes, we get on our knees, we have tears in our eyes, and we say, please don't go, please don't do that, don't take that again, don't go there again, don't make me have to go to the jail and bail you out again, don't do that so you end up in the hospital, don't leave, for God's sake, don't leave. Isn't that pleading? Pleading. This man didn't walk up to Jesus and just say, would you come help me at my house? It says he pleaded with Jesus, please, 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 please. And Jesus, who I have said before, has horrible people skills, turns to this guy and he says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I checked the word believe in the original language to make sure there was no nuances between these three believes you know you can take one word and you can add little letters to it and make it have nuances it's the same word throughout straight up believe and it sounds like what Jesus is saying to this man here is seeing is believing and you people make me tired Because if you don't see it, you're not going to believe it, and you're just like everybody else. If you don't see it, you're not going to believe it, and you just make me tired. And Jesus says, and the man says to Jesus, sir, come down before my boy dies. It's like Jesus didn't even speak. Come before my boy dies. And Jesus didn't go. Do you realize that? You've read this story all your life. Oh Jesus answered his prayer. The boy lives. Jesus didn't answer his prayer the way he asked it. The man said come go with me. And Jesus instead said go to Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus had said to him and departed. Literally, Jesus said, and I like the literal rendering better, says, your son lives. Not he's going to live. He lives right this minute, this instant. No ifs, ands, buts about it. He lives. And the man at that point did two things. One depended on the other. It says he believed and then he departed. Now here's where I want us to get to. Here's our crisis point. This is the point that proves that we are either believers and adherents of Carl Sagan and the secularist way of thinking, or we prove that we believe in God. This is where Jesus is either a superstition that we are clinging to, or he is Lord and Savior. Right here in this moment, and I need you to try to follow me, I realize what kind of sermon we're talking about this morning. You've got to think with me. When Jesus told the man, your son lives, John tells us the man believed what Jesus had said to him, and he departed. But what if he hadn't? What if he had not departed? You see, departing is where the man's believing became real. He had no guarantee that Jesus had done anything there was no guarantee jesus said words jesus has already said if you don't see i know you're not going to believe and now jesus could be blowing this guy off and just say go away kid don't bother me i've had it go on your son's going to be fine just go on going home and we say well that doesn't sound like jesus the man didn't know that He's standing right there in front of a man that he only knows by reputation. Have you ever bought anything from somebody or taken advice from somebody that you only knew by reputation? How did you feel in that moment? What if he hadn't left? What if he had stayed? What if he had stayed with Jesus? What if he had thought to himself, listen, listen. What if he had thought to himself, I need to know more before I can go? I need to understand a little bit more about Jesus before I go. What if he followed Jesus around, listened to Jesus teaching from place to place so that he could learn, so he could grow, so he could know, so he could be sure? And people would have called this guy a disciple. He's a Christ follower. They would talk about the life that he gave up in order to follow the master. He went everywhere Jesus went. He believed, they would say, devoted his life to Jesus, they would say. Well, if he had never gone back, he would have never known about his son. No, that's not true. They were already looking for him. His servants were looking for him. They found him. Told him his son lives. What difference would it make if he never went back? It's hidden right here. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Now here's the third believe, and this is, this is where the word makes a difference. See, all three times it means the same, time, same thing, but this time, His belief is so real, this time his belief is so deep, this time his belief is so totally convinced that his entire household hears the story of this man that said what he said and did what he did and they all believed, his entire household believed in Jesus at that point. When he went home, saw with his own eyes the work that Jesus did. His belief moved from theoretical to practical. His belief moved from the knowledge in his head to the midst of his heart. He didn't hesitate to tell his story. You know that he hugged his son and held him so tight with tears in his eyes that the son probably said, Dad, you're crushing me. Stop. You know that happened. You know he praised Jesus, and the household was saved. Not mom and the kids, the household. He was a nobleman. He was an important man. Everybody under under his roof, all of his servants, the yard boy, the stable boy, the pool boy, everybody was changed from being star stuff to being children of God because he went home. Listen, this is important. The belief we have that exists in this room, and it only exists in this room, is not enough to stand against star stuff. It's not. Star stuff, the belief system of really, listen, really smart, really powerful, really intellectual, very well healed, learned, intelligent, studied people, says that believing in Jesus is superstition and is cowardly. And it is superstition until it grows feet. Taking our belief outside this room is when it changes from head knowledge to heart knowledge. And it's becoming more terrifying every day to do that. Think about this. What did that man ask Jesus for? Y'all got to think. Y'all got to get in this story. What did this man ask Jesus for? Sir, come down before my boy dies. Come to my house. Travel with me. Walk with me. Assure me by being there with me. I want to be able to hear your voice. Smell your smell. Watch you eat. I need to touch you in order to believe. I need to touch you in order to know. And Jesus looked at him and he said, no, I am not. Go, he says. It'll be okay. Go. Can you imagine the hesitation in that man's eyes as he looked at Jesus and heard that no He had a lump in his throat the size of all outdoors that he had to swallow down. He had to take a deep breath. Can you imagine the determination that Jesus saw in his eyes, the determination it took just to turn and walk away without getting what he had asked for? Come with me. No. Your son lives. What thoughts went through his head? What thoughts go through your head? You read this stuff. Jesus never walked a foot with you. You've never smelled his smell. You've never seen his face. You've never heard his voice. You've never touched him. He just says, go. What thoughts go through your head when you're standing in front of somebody who's really, really smart and has lots of letters behind their names, more letters behind your name, their names, than you've got behind your name, and they're telling you that you don't know what you're talking about. What thoughts go through your head? I thought about what this guy might have thought. He comes home as he's walking, he thinks to himself, What if my kid dies? What if I walk in the door and my wife screams at me, You louse! If you had been here, if you'd have brought that man like you said you were gonna bring that man, and instead you show up empty handed like this, how stupid can any one man be? Let your son die. And all the people in the household as he walks by, he'd hear the whispers. Whispers that would say, can you believe the master walked all that way? He walked all that way, left her with the boy, left her to watch the boy die by himself. And all he was doing was going to try to find a magician. How stupid can any one man be? Do you ever hear those whispers in the back of your head when somebody says something really, really smart and scientific and intelligent, and you think that little voice perks up back there that says, "I don't know, this sounds good. How stupid can somebody believe be to believe this stuff that I believe?" And yet he turned and he walked. He believed that Jesus would do what he said he would do. He believed. He walked. Jesus changed his whole world everybody some of us have sat in church in this church and other churches for decades we've gone to Sunday school we've gone to Bible studies we've gone to youth group, kids camp, small groups we've sung praise songs around a campfire I learned how to make s'mores at a church camp that's a religious thing to do isn't it we've done all those things but have we ever turned and walked home oh we tell ourselves that we have but we know in our hearts that our fruit gives lie to our words This church is a place where Jesus is found and where Jesus is given away. The man found Jesus, but everything remained the same until he did what Jesus told him to do. He prayed one thing. Jesus gave him a different answer in the prayer. He followed the different answer, and his world changed. I suspect your experience with Jesus has been different than what you thought your experience with Jesus would be. Mine's been. <laughs> Mine's shown sure up been different. I bet yours has been too. Do you believe? Do you believe? You found him. Do you believe enough to give him away? Do you believe enough to live like the Son of God rather than to live like star stuff? Do you believe? Father, we want so much to walk alongside you. We want to smell your smell. We want to hear your voice. Lord, we think if only we could see you heal the sick, if you could make the lame to walk and we rejoice if you could put your hands over my son's ears and make him hear without hearing aids if you'd raise the dead if only we could see that with our own eyes Lord but you won't do that the answer to that prayer for us is no no Instead, you tell us, you tell me to believe and to go. And it scares us, Lord. People have changed. Our kids don't know what they're growing up in the middle of it. But those of us who have got a little age on us know this, this isn't the same place that we, that we lived in before. And Lord, we don't want to appear to be idiots in the eyes of, of smart people but we know at the same time that you're the only answer. You're the only way for anybody. If we're going to have peace, we have to have you. If we're going to have life, we've got to have you. Lord Jesus, please forgive us and teach us to have courage. No matter what it takes, no matter how long, We may be stubborn, but you're omnipotent. Overwhelm us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are four types of sermons. We studied this in seminary. I know all about this. I paid money to learn this. Four types of sermons. Sermons to revitalize. There are sermons to actuate. That means to cause action. There's a sermon to convince Let's say I said revitalize. Now I'm blossoming train of thought. Revitalize and explain. That's the fourth one, explain. I hate, so, I hate sermons where I'm supposed to convince people because I know I can't. But this is a convince sermon. And the Holy Spirit has to do the convincing in your heart. There are lots of smart people out there saying lots of smart things to us that sound like they make sense. And then the Bible says what the Bible says. And we like to stand up and we like to say that if it came down to somebody putting a gun to my head, like the did that girl at Columbine, and says, "Do you believe in Jesus, that I would be brave enough to say, "Yes, I believe." And that's easy to say right here, but you know when somebody sits in front of us and tells us that all of these things that we know are sinful or wrong, we sit there with our mouth shut. And we let it grow. And then we wonder why things aren't different. Having faith in here is not enough. Having faith in Sunday school is not enough. It's got to go with us. I ask you this morning to repent. Repent myself. And Lord, teach me to be bold and brave the right way. And for those of you who have never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've got a choice. You were created by the stars. Horoscopes are true. They chart your destiny. Or there is a God who created you and loved you enough that when you went out of whack, he sent his son to come and say, come home. I forgive you. Please follow me. I ask you to do that this morning. Would you stand together with me?